We are in Revelation chapter 16. Uh, one of the emails that went out earlier was read Revelation 16 through 19 because we're going to cover all four of those books today. You say, how are we going to do that? Well, I want to show you. We're going to cover all of them. So we're going to uh, actually do some reading. But before I read, I, I want to maybe catch us up to speed uh, with a couple things. Uh, we are nearing the end of Revelation. We have been building up to the point where God's wrath is poured out. And we're going to see that today. Remember, the sealed judgments revealed things about, about God, about Jesus, and about man. The sealed judgments revealed. And we shouldn't call them judgments. I'm still trying to get that out of my vocabulary because they're not judgments. They're, they're the seals. And then the trumpets proclaim. They proclaim things about God and about man and, and what's going on. But we get to the bowl. They, they are a form of judgment. They are God's wrath. They're called the bowls of God's wrath. And so we're going to enter a, a kind of a new category of God interacting with mankind. But remember, as God revealed himself and as God proclaimed himself, that was evangelism. He was in, in a worldwide situation, a worldwide platform. He was calling out and saying, I'm real. I'm here. I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. And you need to repent. And millions of people will repent when they're face to face with God because now the choice isn't one day I'll decide or I'm not sure if I want to follow Christ. At this point in time, especially as we get close to where we're at today, it is literally I will choose God or I will choose Satan. And Satan has, has made himself pro prevalent in the Antichrist and the false prophet. And it's, it's really come down to that. And, and where we're going to read today, we have passed the mark of the beast. And if you have chosen the Antichrist, you have a mark on your forehead or your hand that identifies you to anyone who wants to look where your allegiances are. And if you don't have that mark, then you're a follower of Christ. So it's, it's very obvious and very apparent at this point in time whether you've chosen God or chosen Satan. And, and I think people are actually aware at this point that Satan is behind the Antichrist or the beast and the false prophet. And so we come to now the, the place we've been building towards. We've seen it from every angle. God has told us everything there is to know about it. And now we're, we're at this point. So we're, we're turning a corner. Also, I want, to, I want you to look at your notes before we read. And I want to talk about the word wrath. Straight from the dictionary, this is what it says. Strong, stern, or fierce anger resulting in punishment... As a consequence of this anger. So this is a reaction. This is now we're going to read God's reaction to the choices of humanity. So God has laid himself out in, in the, the very most clear fashion ever. Maybe even more so than when Jesus walked on earth because of the worldwide nature of it. And, and people have said, I will not choose you. I will not serve you. I reject you. They've chosen Satan. They've even, they've even said to the mountains, fall on me and kill me because I don't want to go through this, but I will not choose God. And God's reaction to that attitude is what we're going to read about. In your notes, it says it's kind of like this. God says, now you've gone too far. Now you've gone too far. It says you have, you have passed the point of no return. You've said things that can't be unsaid. You've made decisions that can't be undecided. 
You've done things that can't be undone. Now you've gone too far. And for what you've done on this earth in the, in the last six and a half years, six and three quarter years, for what's happened during that time, I will now respond to you in a just and righteous way with my wrath. So we're going to read about God's wrath. And we don't like to talk about it, but you'll find it all through scripture if you look for it. But let's go ahead and read uh, Revelation 16. We'll read that entire chapter. And then we'll jump to 19 and we'll read verse 11 through 21. So I'm going to try real hard just to read this. There's one place I'm going to stop and make a comment because it won't come up later. But I'm just going to read this through. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the, wa of the water say, you are, you are just in these judgments, O Holy One. You who were and you who are and who were, for they were for they shed the blood of your holy people and your promises, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who was in control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure, spirit, Im, in, impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demon, demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I came, I came like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. That's where I want to stop. I'm not going to come back to this, but I want you to notice, if you have a red letter edition Bible, that's in red letters. It's like a statement that's thrown in there. We could easily just keep reading. If that wasn't said, we wouldn't lose a beat. But it's in there because this is reminding the believers of something. It says, look, I come like a thief. Remember, a thief comes unannounced. A thief surprises you, right? Unless you know he's coming. If you know the thief's coming, then you're waiting for him, right? If you know a thief is going to come at 7 o'clock to steal all your stuff, you're not going to be in the backyard having a barbecue with the front door unlocked, right? So if you know the thief is coming, you're not surprised. But if you don't know, it's a shock. And when you come back in and your stuff's been gone through and ransacked and your valuables are missing, you're shocked, and, and surprised. Well, what he's saying here, he's quoting several 
several times it's in the Bible, he's quoting this, look, I come like a thief. Like, it's going to be shocking, and it's going to be surprising. Like, these people are so deluded in their thinking that they think that they can beat me. Like, Satan is going to, Satan's actually going to think that I might, I might win this one. It's worth fighting. Like, we're going to battle this out. But he's saying this for the believers. He's saying, you, you know I'm coming. Like, you could read the signs. If you're following along in Scripture, you know, I'm, I, well, you know what's going to happen. You know what's next. So it's not a surprise for you. It's a surprise for them. And the surprised ones are the ones that are embarrassed and the ones who are ashamed. So he's kind of giving them a little nugget like, hey, you know what's coming. You're not going to be caught off guard. You're going to be okay. And that's kind of important. So I want to mention that. So let's continue. Verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it had ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. Now turn a few pages over. Go to chapter 19, find verse 11. We'll continue there. Because, and we're skipping because there's a pause there where other things are discussed, but now we're getting back to the story. So we're sticking to the chronology here. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. The beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh." That was a lot of reading. You should say thank you for skipping verse chapter 17 and 18. Um, but that part I felt like we needed to read. 
And that's the part we're going to talk about mainly today. I am going to comment on 17 and 18. So if you read those ahead, you're, you're ready for that. If you didn't, read those at home. But let's go to your notes. I'm just going to, I'm going to go through these seven bowls. You can look back at the passage we read. We'll be back in chapter 16. You could refer to things that I mentioned. But I just want to go through these. And, and, and remember, this is happening very quickly. We're talking from start to finish, three months or less. An argument could easily be made that it's like three weeks. So this is, this is rapid fire now. This isn't something happens and there's, there's a, a pause and time to reflect. It's, it's boom, 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 boom. So these things are happening one after the other. So number in your notes, bowl number one, it said that ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast. Okay, ugly festering sores broke out on the people at the mark of the beast. Notice it's very specific on who gets the ugly festering sores. It's those who have the mark of the beast. So God is not randomly judging people still alive on the earth. God is not just throwing judgment out and wherever it lands, that's great. This is very specific. It's, it's pinpoint accuracy. Those who have sworn allegiance to Satan, who have taken the mark of the beast, God has said, for you and you alone, this judgment is for you. This is your earthly judgment for your earthly actions. And you will have these festering sores. It says you're ugly and festering. We could talk about what festering means. Probably whatever's in your mind is good enough. I, I see uh, kind of liquidy, ooey-goozy type sores. Uh, it says they're ugly. I can picture ugly. So these people who have already marked themselves with Satan's mark, the mark of the beast, now they are marked by God. So if it wasn't super obvious, if someone's hair was down in front of their mark on their forehead or they wore sleeves and you couldn't see the mark on their hand, if it wasn't obvious who had rejected Christ before, it's super obvious now. Because every person on the face of the earth, and this is all worldwide stuff now, every person on the face of the earth who took the mark of the beast now has these ugly, festering sores. So God has identified them. And, and this is just the beginning. Bowl number two says, The sea turned to blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in them died. Now, I don't know what the blood of a dead person is. I did a little bit of research, didn't go too far down that road, but it had a lot to do with pooling and clotting. Like, like icky and gross, not just blood like comes out of your arm when you cut yourself, but like the blood that's been there for a while. It's just nasty. I think there's, there's stink to it and basically kills everything in the sea. So it's very specific. It's not just blood. It's blood like that of a dead person. It's, it's bringing death to everything. And, and in your notes, it says, remember a third of the sea life had already perished with the sounding of the second trumpet. Revelation 8, 9, but this is much worse. I know you're shocked I chose that word, much worse. What's happening here is the industry is going to collapse. Shipping is going to collapse. Commerce is going to collapse. Food is going to be uh, lessened. Everything that happens on ships will be basically stopped because of this. You think of what's going on in the Black Sea right now and how that's interfering with our shipping lanes and it's taking longer to get things to where we are. It's costing us more money. Well, that will be nothing compared to what's going to happen. It'll all just be done. There will be thousands and thousands and thousands of dead 
things that lived in the sea floating up to the top. Ships will not be able to travel. They won't be able to supply themselves. And so, so God is marking them, and now he's taking away what they sought. They sought wealth. They sought prestige. They sought power. They sought independence. They sought uh, economic freedom despite God. And now he said, well, that's what you wanted. I'm going to take that away from you. And he, and he took that away in, in that way. Bull number three, the rivers and springs of water became blood. I, I noted that it didn't say like the blood of a dead person. It just became blood. Uh, springs and rivers flow. So this is flowing blood. And I do believe this is real blood. I don't think this is water that turned red and looks like blood. I think this is real blood. I think God has that power. And I think God did this because he was making a point. You'll notice in your notes it says, and this is a quote from the scripture, you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. We drink water from rivers and springs. We drink water from rivers and springs. If you didn't know that, surprise. And if those rivers and springs turn to blood, we're going to have a problem. And he's saying, you have spilled the blood, so you're going to drink the blood. It's, it's a symbolic justice. He's bringing, he's bringing literal justice, but there's, always, there's also symbolic justice here. And now the, the transportation on the rivers and things like that, and all the life that's in the rivers, now that's, that's dying away too. He's kind of like saying, you made your bed, now lie in it. Here's some things that are going to happen. Now, number four, it says the sun allowed, the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. And, and I have, I'm having you write the word allowed because I want you to really focus on the word allowed. Allowed indicates a choice. Like you're allowed this or you're allowed that. And the sun is allowed to scorch people with fire. That sounds kind of random, but remember, in the beginning, bull number one, it was specifically on those who had the mark of the beast. And bull number two and three was an attack against what they were striving for. And I think bull number four is equally uh, pinpointed on those people because of the response. In your notes, they cursed the name of God who, and refused to repent. So if you have become a believer during the tribulation and you have not taken the mark of the beast and you are serving God and you're waiting for this to be done because you know the ends in sight and, and you're believing that God is going to rescue you and save you, then you're experiencing all these things going against those people, but not yourself. Because if you believe in God, you're not going to curse God. Your response will not be to curse God. Your response will be to praise God. Praise God that he's doing what he said he would do. Praise God that he's bringing about justice. Praise God that we're near the end. But these people who were um, scorched by the sun, they cursed God and refused to repent. So I believe that the sun is scorching individuals, not areas. And individuals are being scorched. So they have their... Ugly, festering sores. They've lost much of their livelihood and their wealth and their ability to create wealth. And now the sun is attacking them. Bull number five, the kingdom of the beast was plunged into darkness. And it actually says uh, it, the, its kingdom was plunged into darkness. 
And at first I thought this was the sun turning black, and that's kind of been the traditional view of this, the sun is turning black, because we didn't know any other way this could happen. And if, if God wants to blacken sun here and not here, more power to him, he can do that. But I think what, what was seen here has the potential that, that God just turns off the electricity. Even, even our little calf lambent out here in the boonies, if the electricity goes off, it gets dark, right? You, you stumble through your house, you can't drive down the roads, it's all dark. If electricity is gone, then you're in darkness. And that would be a very easy way for God to allow light for his people and plunge the kingdom of the Antichrist into darkness, the kingdom of the beast. So however, however God does that, that's fine. But again, we see they curse the God of heaven and refuse to repent. So if God just turns off the sun, which he is more than capable of doing, and everyone's plunged into darkness, the believers respond with, praise God, we're getting even closer. Praise God, justice is being is being." Exercise, praise God for what he's doing. And those who have rejected Christ are cursing God. And they're not repenting. So we see this pattern is still going on. But I think the pattern is that God is purposely judging those who have rejected him, but not those who have responded to him. Uh, bowl number six, and we're going fast because these go fast. God, bowl number six, God clears the path for Satan. God clears the path for Satan, and of course the beast and the false prophet are right there with him. And they gather all their forces for a battle, which will be fought at Armageddon. We've heard the battle of Armageddon. And I want you to notice that Satan eagerly gathers his forces. This makes me think that Satan is, has become so deluded, and he's had so much power and freedom as, as the serpent with his with this beast or antichrist and the false prophet, that he's, he's swallowing the pill and he's, he's doing everything himself and he's like bought into the idea that I can win this battle. And he's like, if I just get, like I'm in control of the whole world right now. Every country in the world will respond if I call them. So let's go call them. And these demons come forth from, the, from, the, uh, from Satan himself, from the false prophet and from the beast. And, and they go out and they gather the people and it says they do it with signs. So they show up and they say, hey, you know what? We can do this. We are powerful. We're that good. We are winning. We've, we've got God on the run. All we have to do is finish him off. Here's a sign. Look what I can do. And, and the kings, they say, yes, we're in. Let's go. We, we have, it's been so good so far. Let's do this. And they travel to Armageddon. They bring their armies. And I want you to notice, though, it is, it's God who clears the path. God dried up the river Euphrates so they would have a place to march. God is basically saying, let's go. Bring it on. Come on. I'm, we're, I'm done. Are you done? Come join. Let's, let's fight it out. Winner gets all. He's inviting them to come. So they show up. They come. Satan is eagerly gathering his forces. Bull number seven. It says, lightning, rumblings, thunder, and an earthquake like none before it. So we know what lightning and thunder is. But rumblings, I'm not that familiar with rumblings. Maybe that's something others are familiar with, but it comes between the lightning and the thunder. So lightning is destructive. You do not want to get hit by lightning. Uh, no one should ever grab a long metal pole and run around in a lightning storm seeing if they can catch one. Bad idea, okay? And, and thunder 
is loud and, and indicates there's some bad storms going on. And this rumbling is somewhere in between. So think of, think of the, the lightning that strikes and you hear the echo of it. Or the thunder that goes off and you hear the echo. I think the echo is the rumblings. It's between the lightning and the thunder. But then there's the earthquake. And we're actually going to talk more about the earthquake next week. But, but notice this. It says the islands are gone. The mountains are gone. And 100-pound hailstones fall on people, which I think means they actually hit people. At least they're falling where the people are, right? So this earthquake, like never before, I, I, I don't know if I can actually even picture this, but Mount St. Helens, gone. Mount Rainier, gone. Uh, Mount McKinley, gone. Mount Shasta, gone. Mount Lassen, gone. Mount Everest, gone. The Himalayas, gone. The Rockies, gone. Where are they going to go? They're going to fall down. They're going to spread out. The islands are going to disappear. When all the mountains fall down and spread out, the water's going to rise. The islands are going to be gone. Now, I'm going to talk about this next week, but I think God is doing something very specific as he does this. But he tells us this is what's going to happen. And, and for today, this is what I want you to see. Um, every once in a while, I'll watch some old movie, and it's this kingdom versus this kingdom. And it's in the new movies, too. It's, it's in the Star Wars movies. It's in the, uh, those movies with the elves and all that stuff. Where they line up for battle, and everyone's ready, and they're stomping their feet, and they're doing their chants, and we're going to come get you. And then all of a sudden, somebody says something, and rocks come flying over the top, and they barrel down on these people, and then they shoot their arrows this way. But they're still a long ways away, and they're just picking off a few at a time, but they're trying to intimidate. That's what's happening here. This is the pre-battle. That's what goes in your notes. This is the pre-battle. This is the, hey, in case you weren't paying attention... I'm here. Like, this is, this is what's happening, and it's happening now. Be intimidated. Be scared. And so we have this setting, and, and the ground is shaking, and the mountains are crumbling, and the water's rising, and the armies are gathered. And I don't know what they're doing. They're talking on their walkie-talkies, or they're trying to figure out who's going to attack. I don't know what's happening God shows up, and that's going to be a scene. This guy shows up riding a horse with all these angels behind him, and, and they're like, that's our enemy? Yeah, that's our enemy. And, and all this is happening. And then we get chapter 17 and 18. So all the buildup, and we're going to do chapter 17 and 18 really fast, and then we're going to get to the rest of the story. So in your notes, chapter 17, John is giving details about the great prostitute. The great prostitute is a city... It's a person, it's a movement. The Third Reich was, was Germany, and it was Hitler, and it was communism, and it was Nazism. It was a lot of things. Okay, the great prostitute is, is the new world domination machine that Satan has set forth. It includes the Antichrist, it includes um, the false prophet, it definitely includes Satan. So it, it's all of this, and it's Satan, okay? So here's, here's how... It's described in chapter 17. It's always a she. She is powerful, wealthy, influential, and evil. Now, powerful is not bad. Wealthy is not bad. Influential is not bad. But 
Satan brings evil. He uses his power for evil as well for evil and his influence for evil. And this whole system that's been built up, it's, it's evil. It has evil intent. Number two, she is rebellion personified. The city of the great Babylon the Great. Rebellion personified. Okay? Uh, number three, she is a source of all false religions. In the text, it's called the, the prostitutes, and that's false religion. And prostitution is always the illustration in the Bible. False teachings called abominations. And I want you to see that all these things that we're going to look at, and we'll finish the list, are all like at their greatest point ever. But they've always existed. Since the fall of man, Satan has been evil. He's used his power, wealth, and influence for evil. Those who serve him have used their power, wealth, and influence for evil. It's, it's all a rebellion against God. Satan has always been the source of false religions and false teachings, and he will continue to be. But at this point in, in time, he is the false religion, and he has the false teachings that everyone's embracing. Number four, she has been given the power and authority of all the kings and kingdoms on the earth. That's how far-reaching the influence is, this, this machine that he's created Number five, she leads a war against Jesus, the Lamb. It's a war. They're, they're trying to finish Jesus off. And this is not new. At, at the story of Christ's birth, Satan is trying to end Jesus. He thought maybe he could do it at the crucifixion. Not a new thing. And number six, she will inevitably fail. And that's where we're heading next. She will inevitably fail. So, so John has given a description of, of the great prostitute. And then in chapter 18, we find out how the world will respond to the fall of Babylon. So John has shown the how the world will react to Babylon's fall. And it's all summarized in verse 9 and 10. Everything in the chapter is summarized in verse 9 and 10. It says, they will weep and mourn over her. Stand far off and cry, woe, woe to you great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. In one hour, your doom has come. Their, their reaction is going to be, I can't believe this is happening, and it's happening so fast. Everything was so good. I've lost everything. You've lost everything. Woe to us. This is terrible. That's their reaction. Chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, we see John has shown how God's kingdom will react to Babylon's fall, and it's summarized by verse 1 through 3, and it says, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted hallelujah. So the, the people who belong to Satan are like, oh man, I can't believe it. This is terrible. I'm losing everything. How did I get into this mess? What are we going to do? Oh, it's just horrible. And God's people are going hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Sorry, you had to see that. <laughs> but it's, it's like they're, they're going nuts. Like finally it's happening. They're so excited. And then chapter 19, which we read this part. Number one in your notes. Jesus makes his second coming appearance riding on a white horse. And this is how he's described. Now remember, we had Satan and his machine described in chapter 17. Here's Jesus being described in chapter 19. He's faithful and true. Faithful and true. He's just. Which means he brings justice. Everything is fair. Everything is correct. C, he's full of truth and all knowledge. 
symbolized by the eyes of blazing fire. D, he's a powerful ruler, symbolized by the many crowns on his head. E, he's the sacrifice, the source of forgiveness, the source of justice, signified by the robe dipped in blood. F, he's called the word of God, and this is not new. He's called the word of God. He, he literally speaks for God in his presence. G, he's the leader of God's angel army, which is outstanding. I'd love to see that. He's the leader of God's angel army. The bummer is they have nothing to do because they don't get to do anything. We'll read about that. H, he's all-powerful. He has a sword in his mouth. And, and don't, don't think that we're supposed to picture Jesus running around, waving his head back and forth with a sword, stabbing people. No, it's, it's a picture of the power is in his words. This battle will be fought, and his word alone will do the damage. And then he's described as God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, the rumblings have taken place. The earthquake has taken place. The, the battle lines have been drawn. Everything is ready for this intense battle. And that's pretty much it. Because the battle is a big letdown. The angels don't have to fight. All the people gathered don't get to fight. Here's what happens. An angel in the sun actually calls for the birds to start cleaning up before it ever begins. It's like we're about to begin and the angel says, hey birds, come on down, there's going to be a feast. And the beast and the false prophet are captured and it isn't like they had to chase them around and look for them. They didn't go find him in a pit uh, hidden from everybody like they did Saddam Hussein. Like they just like, uh, come on, you and you, you're with me. Captured him that fast. All right, they are sent immediately into the lake of fire. They are the first two people that enter hell because of what they've done. Okay, the beast and the false prophet are captured. See, everyone else present is killed by the sword, which means by Jesus' spoken word. He speaks and it's over. And the birds arrive and begin to gorge themselves on the flesh. That's what we read in chapter 19. Now, there's one more thing I want to mention. In verse 18, there's a really important word. Chapter 19, verse 18. It says, and the flesh of all people. So what you need to understand about this battle is the armies have gathered. They think there's enough of them. They can beat God. They've all gathered Jesus showed up with his army basically to say, you think you have an army? Look at my army. And then he doesn't even use his army, but he fights the battle. But the battle is not only at Armageddon. At this moment in time, the final event on earth against those who don't believe takes place. And basically with the word coming out of his mouth, all people who, who have not believed, all people who took the mark of the beast are killed right then and there. So this, this calling of the birds, it's not like all the birds are going to show up in Armageddon. All they got to do is fly down to the earth. And, and, and at this moment in time, for the very first time since Adam and Eve sinned, since before they sinned, for the very first time ever, maybe only for a, just the shortest moment in time, there is no unsaved person on earth. There's no unsaved person on earth. 
Now the very first time, which could happen half a second later, the very first time a pregnant woman gives birth to a child, there is now another sinner. There's now another unsaved person on the earth. They're all sinners still. But now there's another unsaved person. And these, these are the people. These saved people and their offspring are those who will move into the thousand-year reign of Christ. And they will be the people who are living and populating the earth and, and becoming who, who, what we're going to read about next week. So what God has done is he has, he has created in at least that moment of time, probably not very long, but in that very moment of time, he has fulfilled every promise that was made regarding uh, death and separation of sinners, triumph over those who oppose him, Satan being defeated. All the things he promised that would take place on the earth have now been fulfilled, and we move into the thousand-year reign of Christ. This is exciting for me because this is what it's all about. Why, why do we have all this other information? Because John is saying, you know what? It's going to get bad. It's going to get rough. It's going to get hard. But chapter 20 is coming. And then chapter 21 and 22. And that's, that's what we're all looking forward to. I'm not going to be here for anything we've studied in the last like 20 weeks. I know it's going to happen. Because, and, and it's exciting because I'm looking forward to this. Now, I won't be there for, unless, no, I won't, I won't be there for the thousand year reign of Christ either. But it's one step closer to eternity. It's one step closer to the new heaven and the new earth, which is where we end up with. So, I'm excited about the next few weeks. We're going we're gonna to get to the reward part of all this. So, we've seen God's grace. We've seen God's mercy. We've seen God's patience. We've seen God's evangelistic efforts. And now we've seen God's wrath. And, and, and both can be on display at the same time, but this week was wrath. And it's a real thing. We should not tempt fate. We prayed earlier for salvation of people that aren't saved. I don't know if there is anyone here who's not saved. By saved, I mean saved from the effect of sin. Saved from an eternity in hell. Sins forgiven. If that's you, talk to someone. Talk to the person who invited you or brought you. Talk to someone and say, what is this thing he keeps talking about being saved? Because I need to make sure I'm saved. Have that conversation. If you can't find someone to have that conversation with, my number and my email and all that's on the back of the bulletin. Send me a message. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Thank you for this information that we have been able to receive. We do recognize that that you are justified in your wrath and you have held it back for so long that at this moment in time we've read about it, it all breaks loose. And it's powerful and some of it's indescribable. We can't fathom what it looks like or what it does. But these people have rejected you to the point where they have gone too far. Father, I pray that we who live today would not let too far be our own death because when we die, it is then too late. I pray that you would Search our hearts and challenge us and cause us to come to a place where we can choose to serve you and to give our lives to you and gain that forgiveness. And I pray that many would do that if they haven't already. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.